Hey, hey, welcome to Cashville, y'all. This is No Ties 1879, a podcast where we, two Fijian folks, talk about our experiences growing up in a white Canadian suburb and raise awareness about Gitimit, the British indentured labor system. My name is Angeline. And my name is Ash. And before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional territory of the Tuasan and Musqueam First Nations and all of the Hunkuminum speaking people who have been stewards of this land since time immemorial. I would also like to offer my respect to all the elders who have gone before us and to the elders and First Nation people who are with us today. I didn't make it to the button fast enough. <laughs> What's up? Not much. Not much is going on with me this week. Yeah, I feel like we've been here because we've like recorded quite a bit in a short time. So, yeah, yeah like this is like our third time in one week. Yeah. Which is the most we've ever done. Yeah, so we've so, just kind of recapped the same stuff. Yeah, so we're just like talking all the time as it is. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm in deep in like some writing and some um, doing, I'm doing some work that I don't really want to put out there yet or talk about, but it's just taking up a lot of time. And a lot of my brain space and I can't wait to tell everyone about it, but it's just, it's been taking up a lot and it's messed with my sleep schedule and a lot. So that's where I'm at, but I'm healthy, but I'm sane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't freak everybody else out. (laughs) I won't. Yeah, no, it's all good. Getting any weird ideas. Good. I'm eating (laughs) properly and drinking water and I could I could sleep better though. Like I could sleep better hours, that's for sure. That's something that's really hard for me because I love Netflix and I love watching Netflix on my phone in bed. It's a terrible, terrible habit, but I kind of live by it, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you on that a little bit. Uh, speaking of bad habits, get on the social media, y'all. <laughs> Uh, go follow us on Instagram at TikTok at No Ties eighteen seventy nine podcast. It is always it's always a hoot uh, on those platforms. You know the trolls are coming through, and plenty of supporters are coming through. Um, and yeah, just go follow us. Go see what we do. Get our most up to date information, and just get some info on the world. Like today, uh, there was a, a volcano eruption in mm-hmm. Tonga, and I didn't know about it until I woke up and I saw our family group chat where dad had said, hey, this just happened. And you were like, yeah. And I was like, what? And then I started looking through it, found some videos, of course, on Instagram and then added them to the story immediately because I feel like that's some shit that the world would want to know. Like there's crazy videos and like the satellite videos on it of it erupting is like, wow. Yeah. I mean, not cool that it happened. Um, Also a gnarly video of like some very uh, adrenaline junkie storm chasers, if you want to call them that, who Mm. who kind of like ran and and stood and got hit by a voluntarily got got swept up in a in a wave. I don't want to say tsunami just because I feel like it makes it seem a lot worse than it is. (laughs) But it it is that it was probably over 11 or 12 feet high. It was because pretty gnarly. The people yeah. in the foreground were quite quite a bit lower than the people in the video who were filming it. So the people in the vil- video who were filming it got hit with a much like it was still like a six foot wave, but whatever was underneath that we didn't right. fully get to see. So right. I would say it was a tsunami. Like the water was gone from the shore. The water was gone. Yeah. So, yeah. It was, and yeah. I mean it's the ocean, so yeah. It, it was a wall of water. I mean, it wasn't like a movie tsunami, which they rarely ever are. Yeah, fucking deep impact. It wasn't a hundred foot wall <laughs> of water. It was a realistic, you know, five hundred mile an hour up to five hundred mile an hour. Uh, well, I don't know. That's just what I heard. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it was. It, it was, was a legit tsunami. Yeah, and I mean, we're still waiting to get some more information on damages and, and, you know, any potential loss of life. Uh, but there was tons of people around and yeah. yeah. So (laughs) I think they had a pretty good understanding of what it was going to be like. Um, also just say that an article that I was reading when I was looking all this up this morning said that it had just been declared dormant this past week on Tuesday. 
Wow. It had been declared dormant. How wrong were they? And I think the gods were just like, fuck y'all. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't say that about me. So anyways, <laughs> go um, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at NoTies1879 podcast, y'all. Uh, um, leave comments and stuff. Yeah, leave comment, boost that shit, boost, boost, boost. Um, a cool article that I, well, not a cool article, I guess the sort of outcome of it is better, but I just wanted to share because this is local news for us and I feel like a lot of our world listeners maybe don't know about this uh, original incident that happened. So in 1914, the Komogata Maru, which was a steamship, it was held at anchor in Coal Harbor, which is a harbor here in Vancouver, for two months after arriving from India. Nearly all of the 376 passengers were Sikh. They were seeking asylum and they were denied entry to Canada. This has been acknowledged by the Canadian government as a racist act. Uh, the ship was ultimately forced to return to India where it was met by British soldier, soldiers and uh, 20 passengers were killed when a riot ensued and others were jailed. And so in honor of that happening, there was a memorial installed uh, in Coal Harbor area in 2012. Last August in 2021, the memorial was vandalized with white paint and white handprints. Not too sure why. It just was. And since then, there has been an ensuing investigation. And unfortunately, this wasn't something that was reported to police. It was actually just all over social media. And then Vancouver Police Department got wind of it then. The man who allegedly defaced the Vancouver's Komogata Maru Memorial in Coal Harbor has been finally charged with one count of mischief. Vancouver police say that uh, the BC Prosecution Service has approved a charge against a 39-year-old male uh, and there is now a province-wide warrant for his arrest. So at the time of this recording, it is unclear whether he has been found or not or caught rather but I can't I haven't been able to find anything that says that he has been but there is a warrant out for his arrest the Vancouver Police Department spokesperson Sergeant Steve Addison said this crime reverberated throughout the community because of what this memorial reveals about our past and the steps that we've taken to become a more inclusive community the descendants of the Komogata Maru Society said in a statement Thursday that the defacing of memorials bring back painful memories of intolerance and racism, and the group is thankful to the VPD for pursuing the person responsible. So just a illustration or example of the racism that currently exists in Vancouver, in the Lower Mainland, in Canada. For those of you who believe that it's not a thing, it absolutely is. And this was like one of those really, really dark shadows on our history. You know, when we think back to when this happened and then we start thinking about all of the things that the federal government has has done to anyone who you know does not look like a white male person um this is one of those you know black marks on our history so it was you know a step forward when the memorial was erected and it has been there there have been some instances of vandalism over the years but nothing to this extent um so it's kind of i don't know like Obviously, this doesn't fix and erase everything, but it's like a little promising to hear that. It's just nice to hear that the VPD pursued this and that there has actually been a charge laid and a warrant out for this person's arrest. So that's good. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I, yeah. I know when it happened, like everyone was just kind of like, well, how, how are we supposed to figure out how this happened? Like it sucks. But again, this is just like the cost of being here. This is just the cost of immigrants being in a place like this and it's just something that we deal with yep. right um we be we being like anyone the who's not white yeah not the bipoc whole yes yeah so this is good and i i hope that it leads to just some more precedent and discourages fucking idiots from doing more dumb shit like this <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah. And then we also thought that this story was relevant to our 
our topic today because it involved a boat. Yeah. <laughs> An immigrant boat. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So tell us what we're talking about today because you did all the work on this and it's kind of your jam. It's kind of your, this is your, your area of expertise, let's say. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm, I sail, so I guess it's in my theater and I'm not a high level sailor by any means. Only just learning. But nonetheless, sail. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, well, it'll be a lifelong process, but I know enough to not get yelled at too much anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a that's always a good thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Staying alive is always a key. (laughs) Just making sure that, I mean, making sure that everybody else stays alive. I mean, if you're useless on a boat, you're a danger to everybody else, so... Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not something you really want to have on the boat. And I'm that guy. So I got to I had to pull my weight. So I remember you told me that you said that to me um, like last summer when you were going, you were like, if you're useless on a boat, you're dangerous to everyone. Yeah. And I was like, cool. So I shouldn't be there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's places for people. I mean, usually we can just place you somewhere, even if it is just sitting there and making sure that we don't run into logs. There are some people <laughs> who are way more useless than others. Unfortunately, I've had to experience their company on a boat. <laughs> it's okay, though. But anyways. Now you know. <laughs> now you know, and next time they are not allowed no. to come. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yes, today we are speaking about the wreck of the Syria, uh, which was an immigrant ship that uh, came to Fiji uh, in 1884. And unfortunately, after making a bunch of successful trips to Trinidad, it wrecked itself on its maiden voyage to Fiji. Get wrecked. And a little insult to injury. This was kind of the best boat they had. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll get into that as we speak more on the ship and the voyage and the who's who and who was on board and what happened after. So we'll just get and, into and it. And who do we point the fingers at? Because yeah. that's what we all want to know. Who is to blame? Yes. <laughs> so first off, uh, the Syria itself uh, was a 207.7 foot, uh, 1,010 ton iron sailing ship. It was iron and wood. Um, back then there was no welding, so these things were riveted together and they were iron, so they're not very rust proof and didn't hold together very well. Just trying to paint a picture for you of just how rickety these things were. Uh, they, it was named after the Syria River, uh, in Karnataka, India. Uh, primary use was the transportation of indentured workers to colonies. It was launched in 1868, built by William Pyle and William Pyle Company. For Norse Line, which was owned by James Norse. Uh, so this guy owned one of the two shipping contractors to Fiji, uh, the Fijian government at the time, um, which we referred to in episode 23, Jahajis. It was the smallest, but the finest ship in the Norse Line fleet. It was the newest one. So, I mean, better advancements and knowledge in sailing and navigation practices were in effect by the time the ship was built. And when it was in service, uh, it made four voyages to Trinidad, one to Nevis, uh, one to Fiji, where it wrecked itself. <laughs> uh, we Trinidad shouldn't laugh, Nevis but... <laughs> are islands in the Caribbean uh, where indenture began before it did in Fiji. Uh, of the 87 voyages made by 42 ships during indenture in Fiji, uh, the Syria was the fifth voyage. Uh, as I t- said before, it was its first time out to Fiji as well. Yeah. Yes. Would you like to take us through the voyage? Sure. So it left left Calcutta on March 13th, 1884, which uh, is just under five years where indenture began in Fiji. Uh, and it was carrying 497 passengers and 43 crew, including 33 Lascars. Now, this was a new thing for for us. A Laskar is a sailor or a militiaman from India, and they were employed on European ships from the 
16th century until the middle of the 20th century. It was mostly an unremarkable journey, except that it took 58 days to get there, which is, which was a record and well below the sailing average of 72 days, which speaks to its technological advance nature that you mentioned Mm -hmm. and so yeah it it set a record in its time to get there from india to fiji and it was only broken once by a boat called pericles i want to say um which took 53 days and that was only a few months later like literally in july pericles made it in 53 days yeah yeah they were probably hitting good trade winds at that time too through the Indian Ocean area. And it was the the same route that they were taking at that time. As technology continued to advance, they started to take different routes that were more accommodating to their advancements because they didn't need to, I don't know, like follow the coastline and and be weary, I guess. Yeah. 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 So this was the original route from India to Fiji that um, boats carrying indentured laborers took. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, that's pretty, 58 days, that's, that's a huge... That's, um, that's so far, because we talk about yeah. that distance in the Jahaji's episode. Like, it was far. It is far, but for like that's not that much time. It's not. Even for today, like, that's... I mean, that's pretty good. How much puke was there puke, on the yeah. boat? <laughs> there, you know, for a boat that is made out of iron and wood and just, you know, isn't really made to go fast, it did quite well. Yeah. They got good what's called speed over ground. Uh, when you ever ask a sailor how fast they've been sailing, they'll usually give you the one that doesn't count. They'll tell you how fast they've been for 30 seconds, and that's the speed they'll tell you. What mm-hmm. speed over ground is how fast they did mm-hmm. the whole time. So they probably made really good speed over ground. Like They were probably moving at a consistent speed the entire time. And we're nonstop. Mm-hmm. So like similar to my trip last like two years ago, we made very good speed over ground over the Georgia Strait and we were nonstop sailing the whole way through. And it, we were there and I can't remember the exact time, but we were there in a quite less time than we normally mm. would uh, would take us. So, yeah. It just like seems like it just requires so much planning, right? Like you know, watch the weather, and like even now with the stuff that we have today, it must still be a challenge to yeah. like properly predict, like, yeah. hey, we're going to be able to reach there in this time with this wind that's traveling this direction. Yeah, and this right, it's always like, changing. Just, yeah, it's always changing, right? Yeah. yeah, it just seems like a bit of a mess to Especially me. Especially around here, it's always changing. It's either right. always changing or then you get days where it just doesn't and like you just know happens. it's going to be sunny yeah. and there's going to be no wind. So either extreme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And depending on where you go too, like in the Gulf, you might get lots of wind because they have Chinooks there mm-hmm. blow like crazy. But anyways, mm-hmm. let's get back to the boat. <laughs> yeah. Um, I should also just men- mention that um, included on the crew of the boat um, on Syria was a surgeon superintendent, Dr. Charles Frederick Shaw, who was an experienced officer and had been to Fiji before aboard the uh, Barar, which was another boat that went there two years earlier. Yeah, I was actually surprised to learn that they had a doctor aboard well, I think that there was just like so much experiencing of loss. Like yeah, they were just like, okay, time, they were like, guys, were like, it's like yeah. it's a long trip. Like everyone keeps on getting sick and shit. Like because that uh, that first the first um, or the Jahaji's episode where we talk about Leonidas, right? Like that was terrible. That was yeah. avoidable, <laughs> right? So yep. and so much sickness. Ugh. Yeah, and uh, there were uh, lots of sickness-based diseases. Or sorry, sickness-based uh, losses happening aboard ships. And they were just like, we'll talk about the death toll in this. And this is regarded as the worst maritime disaster in Fiji. But by no means is this the worst disaster ever. Right. There, as I was researching this, I found out there was just shitloads of... Of indentured ships. Yeah, yeah. that, you know, burned with everybody on board. Or yeah. everybody got sick and yeah. died. Or, yeah, in the Caribbean. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, like this is just one of the this is just a maritime just just boat related yeah right that's a that you know it was a fucking 
Well, we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. I'm getting too crazy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's get well, actually, to it. We'll get to it right now. So yeah. on Sunday, May 11th, 1884, Captain Charles Benson uh, spotted the island of Kadavu and took his bearings. Kadavu is a 411 square kilometer island and is located south of the two main islands, Viti Levu and Vanua Levu. Yeah. Almost. And, oh, sorry, sorry, this was just important to note just because Kadavu is south of the main islands. And when you look at it, it, it I'm not too sure why they were there. Like, I don't, like, you know, I don't know where the like, I don't know where they were intending on going, but it's interesting that they would uh, enter the archipelago from from that side, from that end. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so these might be the things where, like, sandbars, reefs, mm. uh, also just the the way the crows fly is not always the best way to get there, right? So, like, uh, like I mentioned before about trade winds, there's also, like, like water currents that will right. just... Water currents and uh, natural trade winds that just will take you mm-hmm. places. And those ways, they might... The, the routes aren't direct, mm-hmm. but they're faster because... Right. Of whatever natural earth phenomenon is, you know. Science. Yeah, science. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of science that I don't understand, but yeah, science. Um, So almost immediately, the problems began to mount as he was forced to alter course. Uh, Wind began to change and the water began to become much more rougher. And a series of calculations and bearings were taken. However, they were not logged in the ship's log. And... As my research uh, continued, uh, these calculations were probably these calculations were probably wrong because he was estimating. Uh, so at the time, sailing directions to Fiji were dangerously outdated. Uh, they were based on Finley's sailing directions, which were published in 1840, so 44 years previous. So not helpful. No. Uh, So the charts were obsolete with no current markers on them. And Captain Charles Benson was inexperienced and wasn't given precise destination to Fiji in Fiji to uh, go to. So he kind of was just like, here's the keys. Got given the keys. and It'll be fine. We'll get there, guys. It's going to be fine. fine. Everything's fine. We're fine. You're fine. You're you're fine. (laughs) Just just don't scratch it when you're parking it. Um, However... By 5 p.m., she had cleared the Astrolabe Reef and traveling between 7 and 8 knots towards Suva. Uh, Astrolabe Reef, which is near Motiti Island, 20 kilometers northeast of Tauranga, Tauranga, off the Bay of Plenty Coast in New Zealand. The reef, which breaks the water surface at low tide, is a renowned scuba diving spot. As the captain stated, the high mountains behind Suva were sighted and a east-northeast course was set until midnight. And at the same time as this was all happening, the captain made a series of miscalculations in wind and neglected to take sufficient notice of increasing currents, as well as his inexperience in these waters and poor navigation led him to believe he was 20 nautical miles from Nasili Reef, which is... At the northeast corner of the main island, Viti Levu, uh, when in actual fact he was 11 nautical miles from the reef. So, womp womp. Yeah, double, double trouble. He thought he was twice the distance away from where he actually was. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and ground comes up fast when you're in the water. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have a lot of time to react and make decisions. So by now, it's already too late. Mm. Yeah. yeah. As a sailor, I'm just saying it's already too fucking late. They're hitting that reef. <laughs> right? So <clears throat> that happened. Uh by late afternoon, the squally conditions, which means wind. It was windy, yeah, and the windy was, was making it wavy. Yeah, it was windy, <laughs> and it was causing the water to swell. and Swell, know, that's the word. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you have, like, like it's crazy. You see water, and it's, like, a normal height, and then you see off in the distance, and the ocean is swelling, and the water is higher than you are. Yeah, I don't and want to see yeah, that. I'm cra- good. It's a crazy thing I'm to see. I'm super good on that. Yeah, it's fair. It's kind of terrifying, but yeah, I'm good. And I haven't seen huge swells, but I've seen some swells that had me really nervous for sure. And, and I was assured it was fine, but it is pretty trippy to see the entire ocean a different height than where you are. And it's, yeah, 
It's his trip. It's a trip. Yeah, I'm it's good. It's a trip. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, squally conditions. Uh, they improved and the dark, heavy clouds dissipated. And by 7 p.m., uh, there was nearly a full moon out. At this time, there was no lighthouses and no guide ships through Nasili Pass. By 8.15, the ship was making more leeway than ever on the voyage when the captain mistook the reef to be more than a mile and yes. a half away. They were actually half a mile away. Right. The efforts of the crew to avoid danger proved valiant but fruitless. Any hope of avoiding failed when Captain Benson did not order extra sails to be put up when trying to bust a Yui. So... <laughs> You know, a little bit of negligence, but try to put yourself there. There's a lot of stuff going on, and it's nighttime, and you're in waters. You've never been to, you mm -hmm. know, but still, you're a captain. Come on, man. That's why you're the captain. That's why you're the captain. That's why you're the captain. <laughs> That's Fuck. why you're the like. captain. Uh, the passengers at this time, in case you're wondering, they were mostly all below deck, and many had gone to sleep after their evening meal of churai and sugar. Uh, which today we found out Chennai, Chennai is Buja. Yeah, I think it said like, um, like Chura, I think. Um, our Indian and Fijian listeners can correct us, but I'm pretty sure it's Chura, and yeah, it's similar to like a Buja type situation. Um, for the white people listening, <laughs> Buja is like, it's like our snack mix, it's nuts and bolts, it's Indian snack mix, yeah, yeah, nuts so and bolts, or they uh, had. They had some they had some trail mix and yeah, sugar yeah. and that's what they ate on this trip. Yeah. Yeah. That's literally what they ate. Yeah. So that's why we all have diabetes and shit. <laughs> so we all have just so many poor health issues. <laughs> yeah. <Anyways>. Yeah. <laughs> so by eight thirty, Ali Sakani, Alaskar at the wheel of uh, of the Syria and first mate Henson who was at the helm, uh, ran aground on Nasili Reef, four miles from shore. Womp womp again. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty far. Like, that's fucking far. Yeah. Like, you could, like from the boat, you'd be able yeah. to see land for sure, but it's like, that's like four miles is yeah. quite the distance to have to swim. It is. <laughs> it is. And then also they ran aground on reef. So, like, there's parts where they're deep water and then there's reef so like some people were like standing on sandbar just the picture that they painted it sounded like yeah the boat was already on its kind of side and there was reef and stuff all around and right. sandbars and people were kind of like you know standing on sandbars standing on reef holding, holding on to the, the boat, boat yeah or just straight up drowning yeah so after all of this mayhem started to ensue, all of the lifeboats except for one were wrecked. There were six lifeboats on board. Uh, five of them were wrecked. So four crew members took that one lifeboat uh, to Nasili vi Village and reached there at dawn. So it's Sunday night. The boat has crashed. It's Monday morning. Mm. They're just getting to Nasili Village. Everybody is still in the water. And everybody is still freaking out. Inability to communicate with the natives resulted in them being taken to Lavuka instead of Suva. Upon reaching Lavuka at 5 p.m. later that day, a search party was dispatched, which included Captain Cox, who was the harbor master, and Captain Barracks, Barracks, Barracks? I, don't I think know. it's just barracks. <laughs> who was the Barack, president? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. who's the president not of America. Yeah. Who is the president of the Fiji Marine Board? They took a ship called the Penguin to the vicinity of the shipwreck, but were unable to make contact, probably because the tide was too low for them to actually get there. Yeah. They then left for Suva. By this time, news of the disaster had spread. The SS Thistle had sighted the Syria earlier on its way in from Lavuka. The doctor on board, who is referred to as the surgeon superintendent, Dr. Shaw, <laughs> had also reached land by wading and swimming, and then by help of natives in a canoe. The following Tuesday morning, Dr. William McGregor, who we talk about in episode 23 and 28, by this time, news of the disaster had spread. The SS Thistle had sighted the Syria earlier on its way in from Levuka. The doctor on board, who is referred to as super, uh, super surgeon, surgeon <laughs> superintendent Dr. Shaw, had already reached land by wading and swimming and then by help of natives in a canoe. 
The following Tuesday morning, Dr. William McGregor, who we talk about in episode 23 and 28, the then chief medical officer and acting colonial secretary of Fiji, took charge of the rescue operation. His account of the tragedy is as it follows. Quote, those officers responsible for navigation and sailing were novices in their jobs. Charles Belson, William Henry Hereford Henson, and Walter George Johnson were holding the positions of captain, first mate, and second mate, respectively, for the first time. In addition, they were making their first trip to Fiji. Unfortunately, inexperience was not only not the only handicap, as this ship was poorly equipped with navigational aids as well. The captain would add to his negligence and incompetence by not making distress signals or trying to communicate with any passing vessels, wrongly believing and I'm seriously quoting this, that his ship would last a couple of days. <laughs> so here it's, um, there's maybe some slight unclarity because he does state here that the ship was poorly equipped with navigational aids when this ship was actually supposed to be like the bomb ship at the time. So it, that part is like a bit unclear to me. Yeah, because navigational aids back in the day were just the stars, a sextant, <laughs> a shitty map, and uh, just what you can see, right? Like they didn't have the nothing like anything we have sure, today yeah. you, there was nothing you could put onto a boat that would make it navigate better right the uh, the reason why this boat was so technologically advanced was because it was a different design it was made up of different materials and it was faster right. and it was right. purpose built to uh, get uh, as many people there and back as possible. Oh, okay, right? so like so the vessel was, yeah. itself as yeah, yeah, opposed yeah, 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 to yeah, like the yeah, navigational yeah, yeah, aids. Yeah, okay, yeah. perfect, perfect. There's, okay, there's so not, that's clear. I mean, other than maybe putting a compass on a boat and you have your sextant and you do the best you can to like, right, like to to get the boat there via looking at maps through the geography and shit like that. But uh, and tidal chart, I don't know. I'm just saying all the words that my friend Chris says to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know words. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean... I mean, there's tons of stuff you can do today. Right. But back then, not really that oh, much. Oh, okay. Right? Copy Compass, that. guy in the crow's nest up above, sexton, yeah. maps, one of those compass things, protractor things that do this <laughs> thing. Oh, right. The <laughs> protractor that, like, why does the protractor move, right? Like, why does it have to crawl? Like, that seems like it's oh, like. Oh, because you're supposed to. So, whenever on a map, like, you make, like, you know, whatever centimeter becomes a mile, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so it's that's like, what you're okay, doing when you're it, doing that. It, you're going it. once, you know, every time you move it, every time you do that weird pivot action, that's one mile, one mile, one mile, one mile. That's yeah. He's yeah. Measuring There's just all measuring. of these things that you're describing. I'm just yeah. so good. On these all days of these we have things. something <laughs> called a computer that just does it for you. <laughs> so you're all good, but you're still expected to know how to do these things. But yeah, I know that's also what I was just like, well, if this ship was the bomb diggity, how could they fuck this up so bad? Yeah. Well, it's because of actual. It was just like literal things. negligence and like, I don't know, maybe if they had more things, they wouldn't even fucking bother to use them. I don't know. Yeah. And you know what? If they just had a lighthouse, that would have been. Maybe. If they would yeah. have had somebody at a lighthouse. Or like a, a ship to receive them and be yeah. like, hey, here we are, go that way kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So the irony of Dr. McGregor taking charge of this rescue effort is that he made no secret of his dislike to Indians regarding and referring to them as, quote, necessary evils, end quote. However, without his quick actions, loss of life would have been much greater. And what was that you said to me about this guy? That, that quote there speaks to his... Uh, his ability to follow regulation or, uh, or something like that. Right. Yeah. His, his need to follow standard operating procedure and due process due regardless process. of his personal feelings. Yes. Robot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 A, a, a true foot soldier. Yeah. Yeah. Good soldier following <laughs> orders. Yeah. Yes. The end. <laughs> yes, that is it. And yeah, which Necessary was kind of... Necessary evils? Yeah. Like, I don't they know. They suck, but evil? we need them, so... Yeah. That was a weird... I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like, why would they be called evil? Pro I don't know. They worship weird gods, <laughs> and they speak a different yeah. language. And, well, yeah. they're... Yeah, they're um, tribalistic, and... 
yeah, primitive, and primitive, and yeah, yeah. All, all all of the things that white people weren't at the time. I guess <laughs> I don't. So, uh, I don't. I guess I don't know. Uh, anyways, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, so his quick uh, thinking. Uh, included ordering the SS Clyde and five other government boats uh, to sea to assist with the effort. In addition, several other boats from sugar refineries volunteered to help. You got to protect your investment, right? Uh, <laughs> the, the majority of the passengers were scattered through the water and on the reef. By the time the rescue boats arrived, the tide had gone down considerably and the wreck was visible to the coast and the villagers were arriving by canoe to assist. If you do find some photographs, you can actually see photographs of this thing lying on its side and people are standing on a reef. I'm assuming the reef that it wrecked on, mm. standing on the a reef right in front of it. So yeah, I guess at times it can get dry all the way out to eight kilometers out or sorry, four, four miles out. So that's pretty interesting to me. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I would actually really like to see that one day. I mean, I'm sure it's different now with like climate change right, and all right, right. The, all the ways we've fucked up the planet. I mean, like Fiji, like the South Pacific in general is suffering greatly from climate change. But yeah, I mean the that reef, that entire that the Astrolab reef in New Zealand is like a go-to. That mm. is like a, a huge destination for diving and for looking at pretty reef and fish yeah. and nature yeah huh. interesting eco hotspot so some passengers are still in the wreck itself mostly women and children uh which lay on our port side uh, port is left an easy way to remember on a boat which side is port port and left have the same amount of letters so you will always know that port is left mm, yeah. good trick. and then the right is the starboard side so you can always just remember that the right side is named something weird <laughs> and the port side is the left mm, side okay almost all of the indians were at the mercy of the rescuers because they did not know how to swim dr mcgregor stated if an indian fell into the water it was seldom that he or she ever rose up again without help could this explain why i'm so terrified of falling into the water dun, dun, dun. that generational trauma <laughs> from way back then oh my goodness most of them were immobilized and just simply terrified and confused. And they hung on to the breaking ship. Uh, the first to be helped were the women and children, obviously, and the injured who, had, are, who were already in the water. And anybody else was aided to a nearby sandbank. Probably the craziest thing I read about, and I really did put myself in that, their shoes for a minute. Ten men were left behind on a sandbank because of the last rescue boat. It was too full, and the efforts to find them later on failed. They were believed to have been drowned during the night when the tide probably came back in. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah, that's really fucked up. Yeah. If I mean, anybody, at least yeah. they went back, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's fucked. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't... I can't... It makes me uncomfortable to think about, actually. Yeah, like what they must have felt. Yeah, yeah it's really fucked the up. The last moments of their life and just, wow. Yeah. To go that far and to wreck the boat and just to be left like that. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it was a really shitty thing to read. I was like, wow, that really did happen. I heard stories about that and I, reading, yeah. But again, I mean, you know, these are the risks you take when you do things like this, right? When you're quote-unquote pioneer i guess in some sort of right like you take a risk like this and you do put your life on the line when you yeah are, i mean know. like i don't think that they completely knew what they were getting no. themselves into no <laughs> um they didn't i'm sure they did not predict that that would happen at all right no so. but i mean they must have known that they could lose their life sure i mean yeah. whether I mean, or not yeah i definitely wouldn't count on this wouldn't be adding that to the itinerary. Yeah, I'm going to go to Fiji and I'm going to get left on a sandbank. Yeah, but like when I think about like brown people, though, I don't really think of like, yeah, I'm going to take my family and put us in danger. <laughs> right. Like, I don't really think that because, you know, this was a system that was notorious for its manipulation. Yes. Right? right. And so it's 
highly probable that they were told, you know, the usual, like, it's just right over there. Yeah. It won't be that, that long is. and you'll be fine. Like, they were probably insured their safety. Like, yeah. they were like, nah, it's going to be good. This is a really good boat, too. And like, anything one. to get them on. Yeah. Anything to get them to sign, right? Yeah. Anything. Absolutely. Anything. Absolutely. Yeah. So, survivors were taken by canoes and rescue boats to Nasili Village. The last rescue boat returned to the village at around 8 p.m. on Tuesday. So it had been full two, uh, full two days by that point. They were met hospitably by the chief of Nisile with food and water and shelter for the night. And in the next few weeks, 11 more passengers would die due to complications from the ordeal. Eight men, one woman, and two infant girls. The next day, everyone was put on boats heading to the depot at Nasili Immigration Depot. And 100 strong Indian men had to walk to Rewa, which is a 40-kilometer walk. I'm pretty sure on Google Maps it said something like eight hours. Yeah, which is like, we all know that Google Maps is lies when it comes to the walking distances. <laughs> like, I just know. Like, it's not that. Like, it's way more time. Way more time than that. But, um... This was, yeah, a bit unclear, something that was a bit unclear as well during the research because they walked to Rewa, which is approximately like 40K, and then they spend a night there. They spend the night there in Rewa, and then the next day they boarded um, a colonial sugar refinery ship to Nukalao Depot, which is kind of in the middle-ish. Like, you would sort of pass by that depot in Nukalao on the way to Rewa from Nisili. So I'm not too sure what happened and how completely, perfectly accurate that is. It might be because of the route that they had to take was more inland as opposed to, like, coming down and coastal because Nisili and Nukalao are coastal. Where they boated, where they boarded the boat in Rewa is obviously also coastal as well, but the way to get there is you kind of go inland and then down. So they may have just gone a different way. Looking at it on a map, it didn't really make sense. No. But they did what they did. Maybe it was like a terrain thing. Could be. Yeah. yeah. Like, Could be. Yeah. I don't know. Could have been that there was no roads Yeah. at the time. Yeah. Or, roads and know. the terrain, the forest and, yeah. and all the things. And then... Like, hey, you can do this. Also, it doesn't talk about what the weather was like when they were walking. So mm. it could have been like, yeah. you know, this is the only way right now. Yeah, yeah. Also, the fact that there was a hundred strong Indian men, I wonder if they were just like, look, you guys can walk. Let everybody else go on the boat because there's not enough room. You know what I mean? Well, it was definitely that. The I think the question is rather the... Why did they pass the depot mm. and then take a boat gotcha. there? That that's that's what's in question because Nukalao is between Nasili and Rewa. Right. The losses: fifty nine people died, fifty six immigrants, three Lascars, uh, and of that fifty nine, thirty two men, fifteen women, five girls, three boys, and two babies. Apart from the wreck, an article written by the Fiji Times states that four infants infants died during the voyage and a baby girl was born. Mm -hmm. So that's like during the voyage as opposed to the wreck itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. also that 11 people are not in, uh, included in this. Right. Yeah, so... Which is typical of these statistics just because people are lost, people are born during mm -hmm. voyages and numbers get a bit skewed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what kind of people... We're aboard this here boat. Uh, yeah, so Syria's immigrants were slightly unrepresentative of the Girmitias in the grand scheme of things in terms of their origin of area and their social and occupational background. So in the grand scheme of 37 years where Girmitias were transported to Fiji from India, 75% were from North Indian districts or what we refer to present day as Uttar Pradesh mostly districts that were highly populated and highly impoverished. And then 25% came from South India, right? So that's the grand scheme. Mm -hmm. But everyone on Syria was from the north. So 52% were from Bihar. Bihar is like um, 
like if we had to pick based on statistics where our ancestry is probably from, at least from dad's side, probably Bihar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 52% were from Bihar, 38% were from Uttar Pradesh, uh, 5.5% were from Punjab. In this context, Punjab is including Delhi. 2.5% were from Nepal and 2% were from central provinces uh, or what is present day Madhya Pradesh. Some passengers belonged to middle order agricultural castes. So some of the things, some of the words actually that we heard growing up that we didn't know what they were and now we know. Goris, Gurmis, Gohars, Ahirs. Others of low caste and landless laborers, which were higher than normal, called Mushars, which was surprising as they were not known for being spirited travelers. They kind of just stuck to themselves. They, When they did migrate, they simply had to migrate to escape starvation. So they kind of did their thing where they could. And when there was nothing left, they had to move on to the next thing. Another striking figure, kind of like what you mentioned before with saying that, you know, I'm going to endanger my family, mm-hmm. which is something that I don't assume a lot of people would do um, unless they were already in danger. And of course, it's important to mention that a lot of these people had very little options, very little options to earn money, earn a living, um, make money to put food uh, in their children's stomachs. Um, there was a lot of families aboard the CDA many of whom were leaving due to various reasons, including eviction from landlords, drought, failure to crops, death of cattle, lack of work, um, work that took men far from home and then left wives and children alone for long periods of time. So people left out of desperation, right? Which is a theme that we seem to encounter over and over again. So an inquiry and investigation would probe the cause of the disaster. Although... (laughs) And I completely agreed with this, too, when I read it. In his own mind, J.B. Thurston. Thurston? Thurston. 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 Yeah, like Thurston Gardens. Thurston. So J.B. Thurston, thinking like I was thinking, uh, was certain that, quote, the ship was lost by the incompetence and carelessness of the master and his officers, end quote. No other reason other than the obvious. You guys were fucking negligent and you sank the boat because of it. Silly. Yeah. You should have been more prepared, man. That's really, honestly, you could blame and blame and blame, but you should have been more prepared. You were the captain. You should have been more prepared. So the captain was suspended from his duties and his certificate for nine months. So he was not allowed to do shit. In today's world, you would be fired and probably criminally reprimanded yeah. for something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there was enough negligence there to probably throw his ass in jail, but whatever. This is then. Maritime laws are different now. Uh, it's because of things like this that we have, you know, regulations and shit now, mm-hmm. right? The first mate was reprimanded for not having, quote, volunteered that interest in navigation of that ship which might reasonably be expected from him end quote but no firm action was taken yeah it's a reasonable expectation that you know how to drive this fucking giant yeah piece of iron that has yeah well, he, over he, what 60 bodies on it yeah like, he bare, failed guys. to do the bare minimum <laughs> guys like, that's so Let's bad. This is the together. first mate. He's next one down from the captain, man. This guy is supposed to be the captain's left hand. Yeah, but like <laughs> the captain doesn't give a fuck, it seems. Yeah. Why should homie, right? Yeah. Like it's yeah, negligence. Enough down, negligence right? to go around here. Yeah. Enough negligence to go around for no sure. shortage of negligence. Yeah. I wish I could eat negligence. I wish I knew how to pay <laughs> yeah. my bills with negligence. These jihadis might have been well <laughs> you weren't wouldn't have been eating churai and sugar for the journey, that's for sure. Uh, they would have who knows? I probably wouldn't have a higher risk for heart disease <laughs> should they have been fed on negligence. <laughs> Fuck's sakes. Anyways, <laughs> only one member, second mate Walter George Johnson, was singled out and praised for doing his utmost for qu- saving lives. That is a direct quote, doing his utmost for saving lives. The loss of the Syria 
as I said before, is one of the worst maritime disasters in the history of Fiji, although not the worst disaster regarding anything that has to do with British indenture uh, times. British indentured labor, yeah, yeah, because there are some disasters that occurred in the Caribbean that were super fucked up. Yeah, yeah, uh, lots of diseases breaking out into ships, and lots of ships, because they had lots of people that were sick on them, they were just set fire to. Mm. So there was a lot of, you know, really crazy shit going on all over the place. But this is the only, this is the worst maritime disaster in Fiji. So just boat related, right? We're not trying to take anything away from anybody's, you know, from pain. the, yeah, from yeah, the other know? regional yeah. disasters. Yeah. Or, or from the Syria here at all. Too, yeah. You know, um, the serious casualties are buried near the village of Naivilaka, Nakelu, in Dailevu. I hope I'm saying this right. Fiji people, That's I great. apologize. Yeah. I apologize. I know I'm probably butchering some of this. Naivilaka, Nakelu, in Dailevu. I, I apologize. Yeah. Bear with me as I learn. <laughs> Villagers there continue to maintain the site years and years later. Thank goodness. Uh, after the tragedy, authorities discuss erecting a lighthouse on Nis. Nasilai Reef, which came to fruition in 1886. So some good comes out of some bad. Um, some Fiji reactive yes, good. Yeah, reactive <laughs> good, yes. Fiji Museum records say in 1885, medals were presented by the British government to thank the people of Guiva, Vadrai, Muana, Ira, Nasilai, and Naivuaga. Nice. For their assistance. During the sea tragedy. Yeah. So those are all villages that were close by the Nisili Reef. Yeah. Uh, a monument in Syria Park in Nasori was erected in 1983 on May 11th in honor of those who died. In 2017, which was pretty recent, the descendants of the Indian indentured laborers who survived the wreck were recognized as Luvendra Naratu, or children of the chief by the people of Rewa. And that's really touching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, in conclusion, sailing was dangerous. <laughs> People took a huge risk. Uh, this was a terrifying experience. Just adding to the trauma of, like, indenture itself, right? Yeah. Because afterwards, they were just taken and... Put to work? Yeah, right? So they, so they actually, they had a couple weeks to rest and recuperate, which actually seems like quite a bit to me, honestly. Like, I'm surprised, but it was something like two weeks where some of the Jajibais were given time and then they were allocated, right? So they went where they were going to go and then they went to work and that was it. That was their life. Mm -hmm. So from one traumatic experience to another... Yeah. No time to deal with anything. Yeah. And, you know, keeping in mind that, like, there were a lot of families on this ship. And, you know, we, we can sort of assume a couple things here that, you know, in, in the situation of those 10 men that were left on the sandbank there, that maybe they were deprioritized because they weren't family men they were on their own potentially yeah. and so maybe they were you know just left there because they didn't have families or that they were family men and that there were a lot of women and children who yeah. were, were then without their husband or father yeah yeah i mean if you had to decide whether you get on the boat or if your family does I yeah it's pretty dope a hundred percent okay well i'm gonna stay like but uh, yeah, and I, 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 I'm also wondering too, and I'm again, I'm not trying to take anything away from this. And I did come across the fact that there were a lot of drunk sailors on this boat too. To add to the negligence, mm. there were a bunch of lascars. So at first it was denied that there was alcohol in the boat, and then there was found to be alcohol in the boat, and people were getting shit-faced. And the night before the accident, a bunch of lascars were fucking shit-faced. And uh, when it happens, some of these dudes are too drunk to fucking save themselves. That's really yeah. good. Yeah. So Ugh. I have to imagine that maybe, maybe, I don't know. I would like to believe that the 10 guys they left on that sandbank were good dudes who were just doing the right thing. That's what I want to believe. But 
Part of me believes that maybe, you know, they <laughs> Yo, might have left to one or two shit. Y'all are useless <laughs> and maybe we'll make it back. But if we don't, well, it's maybe, not going to ruin our day. <laughs> maybe one or two of them were shitheads. Not all of yeah, them. Right? Maybe yeah. Maybe one That's or two fucking of them. rude to say yeah, about some folks who are not with us anymore. Yeah. But this is this is also why this was a, the worst maritime disaster because there was just so much negligence, man. Yeah. Lots of amateurs trying to do professional things, lots of outdated navigational mm-hmm. charts, lots of, you know, uh apparently drunk guys on a boat. Yeah, and know? like so like, much like pressure. I mean, like, you know, thank goodness for you know, the villagers who were in the surrounding areas who know the land and know the yeah. reef, who were able to come to aid. Like, thank goodness for them. Because if it were not for them, a huge amount of this rescue effort would have been for for nothing. A lot of people would have died. And so, you know, thank goodness for the people who know what they're doing, who came out. Yeah. Um, But then also, like, just the, like, immense pressure of, like, okay, like, they had to go do that because this group of people who was in charge didn't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, that's not helpful. That's not helpful at all. No, not at all. And how are you going to go the whole way and fuck it up right at the finish line? Well, it's easy to... That's where all the mistakes happen. Yeah, sure, because you're <laughs> you're closer to land, yeah. right? You're touching land and absolutely. But, like, just, you know, how are you going to and then do also, all of these things? Yeah. Break I this mean, record? Yeah, that's the thing, Maybe too. there was, like, a you certain were... amount of confidence or, like, even arrogance that came from 100%. being on that boat. Oh, absolutely. Because they were like, oh, we're good. Absolutely. It was like a Titanic situation. We're good. It's made of iron. Yeah. We're fucking good. 100%. 100%. <laughs> it is definitely a thing. Um, definitely a thing. If you guys want to know what... Actually, you know what's a really good... Everybody knows I love fucking movies. And if you want a, a comparison, I'm going to find you a movie comparison, right? So if you guys are kind of wondering what this journey... And this movie has nothing to do with indentured uh, labor, but it did kind of happen around the same times... Uh, if you're looking for something that kind of gives you a feeling of what the jihadis experience, check out the movie In the Heart of the Sea. It's the real-life events of the merchant vessel, whaling, sh- whaling ship merchant vessel, the Essex, which inspired the story of Moby Dick, mm. right? So this vessel, the Essex, was a whaling ship, and no bullshit, a white uh, sperm whale albino sperm whale big it was trying to sink this boat sick yeah this it was it's a real thing it really actually happened and it's a like Ernest Hemingway met with uh, it just watched the movie but anyways in the movie they're out there in the ocean in a sailing ship whaling in the shittiest weather and it really gets a good picture it paints a really good picture of what life is like on the water during those times mm. right how difficult it is to sail a boat how, like i can't i yeah it, it is difficult now i can't imagine on a boat like that ropes everywhere one rope here does something way the fuck over there like guys it is not an easy task okay so uh i mean check that movie out and <laughs> really 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 put I mean, I will only ever watch that movie once because I can't do movies with me people in the water. Like, nah, I have to deal with that when I'm sailing. Just no. Nah. But uh, I'll tell you, it paints a good picture. It's maritime journeys during those times are not fucking easy, man. Not at all. So that's why Captain Jackass here should have been more prepared. Yeah, his arrogance in that movie. The captain of the ship shows his arrogance and i shit you not when i was reading this and doing the research i kept thinking back to that movie and being like this captain was probably just like the shitbird from the movie my way or the highway Mm. i got this you know they left me in charge so i must know better than everybody else yeah situation yeah anyways that's enough out of me (laughs) (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to us provide you guys with uh, a somewhat Coles notes, really, of uh, the CDS ship today, guys. Like we've said numerous times, this was the biggest disaster in Fijian maritime history. And so we wanted to highlight it. We've heard about it here and there growing up because our parents actually told us that it was something that was talked about in their schools and growing up, um, you know, that there was this ship disaster, right? Um, They didn't necessarily go into who was on it and why exactly it was there, but it was something that was talked about, which was kind of cool to hear. Uh, We want to acknowledge and thank Dr. Bridge Law for his life's work for writing Chelo Jahaji, which is one of our main sources for our research, for our Gitimit episodes, and for leaving us with something so we can learn about ourselves. Please remember to go follow, subscribe, download, and stream, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us those reviews. We love them. Go follow us on Instagram and TikTok at NoTies1879Podcast. I am at Angeline KP if you want to follow me there. And I am at Ashneel Prakash if you want to follow me on Instagram and at Ashneel Prakash on TikTok, but TikTok sucks. Hey, we will see you guys in another two weeks, y'all. Have a good one, guys. Take care of each other and remember, laugh and grow fat. Bula. <laughs> <laughs>